Luke chapter 8 is where we land uh, this morning in our journey through the gospel according to Luke. And so if you have a Bible, flip on over there. If you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles around the room. Bring that home. If you don't have one at home, we really want everybody to have a copy of God's Word. And then also uh, we have scripture up on the screen for you if you need that. Uh, We've been following the life of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus, the things that Jesus has to say through the book of Luke. And today we land in a few great stories on the life of Jesus here in Luke chapter 8. Now, while you're flipping there, let me bring you back to my college years if we can a little bit here. Uh, When I was in college, I had some buddies uh, that we used to hang out. And we found it really amusing to watch just outlandishly cheesy movies and television shows. It was just, for us, it was kind of a fun thing. And so we were always recommending, have you seen this terrible movie? No? Let's see it together. And and so we did that all the time. So um, um, Last Action Hero, Arnold Schwarzenegger, anybody? (laughs) Terribly awesome. Uh, Josie and the Pussycats, anybody? Uh, Left Behind? (laughs) Um, Anything with Dwayne Johnson, The Rock in it, right? It's just incredibly cheesy, and we love to watch that kind of stuff. And then there were the terrible TV shows, and we would find our, you know, terrible TV shows, and we'd sit down together and, and enjoy those. And, and one particular TV show we stumbled across one morning was uh, the Maury Povich show. And so we were, we, we were flipping through the channels, and we land on, on Maury. And I don't know if you kind of know how talk shows go, but typically talk shows have a theme uh, for the day. And the theme for this day was fear or, or, or phobias. And so what they would do for this particular episode is, is bring people up one by one who had a, a unique phobia, and they would interview them about their phobia. And so they'd bring them here, they'd sit down, and Maury would say, well, tell me about how this phobia was birthed in, in your life. And so they would talk about some kind of traumatic event in their childhood that that caused this person to have a phobia of balloons. And they're just horrified of balloons. And he'd talk with them and be all compassionate with them. And then all of a sudden, out of the side, somebody dressed in black, one of his stage crew members would come up carrying a bundle of balloons and just walk up to the, the, the lady sitting here. And she would just run and just start screaming and crying and run off stage. And they would go, no, no, come here, it's okay. And, and it was just... I don't know if Maury was, you know, he was obviously really concerned for their well-being, was trying to help them by helping them confront their, their fears, and they'd bring them back and step aside, and then they'd come back again with the balloons, this time popping the balloons, and they're shrieking, and they did that over and over and over again with aluminum foil. The person had a fear of aluminum foil, and so uh, sure enough gets deep into the, the fear and talking and being all compassionate, and a stage crew member comes out with sheets of aluminum foil, shaking them, and then crumpling them, and they're running and going nuts, and they'd set them back down and do it again, and it was terrible, and they did it with bubble gum, with uh, chicken, with pickles, uh, jellos, uh, kittens, <laughs> those horrifying kittens, and just, there was just fear of some r- ridiculous things, some, some, some rather unsuspecting fears, and today, perhaps, the most unsuspecting fear for us as Christians that we're introduced to here in the Bible is we're introduced to people who find themselves afraid of Jesus. I mean, afraid of, of Jesus. That's, that's odd. And we don't tend to, to, to think this way. It's, it's not something we often talk about in, in churches, even when addressing these stories that clearly you can't miss it. It's exactly what the, the Bible says. And we don't talk about it probably because it kind of stretches our comfortable 
American Christianity, right? We like Jesus who gently pats us on the back with whatever we want him to say, but it's here, it's included in God's scripture for a reason. It reveals to us something about himself, something that I believe we need to hear this morning. And so the title of my sermon this morning is Scary Jesus. Scary Jesus. And so let's read our first story and it will just progressively get scarier. Should be fun. It says, 8, verse 22. One day he got into a boat with his disciples and he said to them, let us go across to the other side of the lake. And so they set out. And as they sailed, he fell asleep and a windstorm came down on the lake and they were filling with water and were in danger. And they went and woke him saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. We'll, we'll stop there and, and dig into this a little bit more. So, so Jesus and his 12 disciples, they get into this boat and they're traveling to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And while they're out in their journey by sea, a windstorm picks up a, around them. Now, to, to paint the scene appropriately, uh, we need to be reminded that at least seven of the 12 disciples had been career fishermen. They were career fishermen. So this isn't grandpa who fishes on Lake Winnipesaukee. This is the lobsterman of Maine. These are career fishermen out in the raging waters. They would not have easily gotten themselves worked up. They're ready to uh, engage with whatever the sea throws at them. But a windstorm starts up and they are completely worked up. It had to have been very, very serious. Imagine something like a tornado in this area of the world, pressure uh, fronts would come and, and hit each other and it would just cause all kinds of, of crazy storms. And so it says it's so bad that they're taking on water and it says that they were in danger. They could die out here in this moment. The boat is sinking. Now fortunately for them, they're reminded that, hey, we have a miracle worker on this boat. His name is Jesus. And so the disciples, in the midst of their panic, they go to Jesus. And when they get to Jesus, what condition do they find Jesus in? He's sleeping, right? Now, my son Luca, he can sleep through anything. And so when we're getting him ready for school in the morning, it's like dressing a corpse. He's just like limp and, and, and lifeless. And, and this is how this story is taught many times. Many times this story is taught like, you know, we're kind of making light of, of Jesus. Wow, he had to be a really light sleeper or heavy sleeper. And, and I've kind of done that my, myself. But as I think more about this, I mean, let's, let's be real for a second if we can. These are Galilean fishing boats. They were small uncovered boats that were used for fishing in in the Sea of Galilee. So there's a couple of options here. Option number one is Jesus was an impossibly sound sleeper. I mean, a storm is coming upon him. He's probably soaking wet and he's asleep and not waking up. Or option two is he's aware of the storm, but he's kind of drifting in and out of sleep. Kind of like maybe a a parent at 3 a.m., right? Your, Your baby cries Again, and you've been up and down and up and down. And when you hear your baby cry, you don't necessarily jump out of bed. I gotta go to the baby. But if a fire alarm went off at 3 a.m., you would jump straight out of bed and, and you would rush, right? So options are Jesus is an impossibly sound sleeper, or two, they woke him, but it wasn't as if he was completely unaware of the storm. Now, now really, either way, 
He wasn't jumping up alarmed by the, the storm. It was so bad, the disciples say, Master, we are perishing. Like, we are dying. Have you ever been in a situation where you said, I am dying? Now, not like my children when they're hungry. I'm famished, Dad. I'm dying. I'm starving. And I say, you have no idea what starving is. These guys, they, they're like, we are actually dying here, Jesus. In Mark's account of this story, he gives us a little bit more. The disciples ask him, Master, do you not care that we are perishing? That's one of those questions that's not actually a question. Like when I'm goofing around with my boys and my wife says, Josh, are you five? It's not actually a question, right? No, actually, honey, I'm, I'm actually in my 30s. I won't tell you the exact number. No, it's a statement. Josh, you're acting like a five-year-old, right? Jesus, you don't care what I am going through. You're asleep. Now, this is where it starts to get very real for, for, for each of us. Because a lot of times we, we read the stories about how the disciples interact with Jesus in the Bible, and we say, come on, guys, seriously, again? You ever do that? I do that all the time. How do they miss how do they miss this? So some of the things they say, or, or some of the things they start to argue about, who's the greatest in the kingdom of God when they're sitting right beside God, or, or God, who's going to sit at your, your right and your left hand when they're sitting right beside some of the things they say to him, some of the things they argue about, some of the things they question. But, but right here, eh, I kind of get it. Do you kind of get it? I mean, I kind of, I think we've all in some ways kind of experienced this ourselves. Moments where, you know, it feels like we're drowning. Moments where it feels like the ways of life are just completely crashing in on us and we are just totally overwhelmed. And maybe for you, it's felt like God doesn't even care. Maybe it's felt like God is completely oblivious to your situation. Maybe it feels like God is nowhere to be found. I mean, this is so real. I mean, it's so personal for me. Maybe for you, it is too. Maybe it's been your, your finances. You cannot seem to get ahead. It's just expense after expense. And then when you think you're just about caught up, your car breaks down. And you God, where are you? It's just one thing after the other. Or maybe it's your health. It's just one thing on top of the other, on top of the other. You feel like your body is just falling apart. Maybe it's your career. You just can't seem to get ahead. And the waves are just crashing in on you. Or maybe it's your, your parenting. You have a tough job, parents, I know that. You're getting no sleep at all. You feel like you just cannot get a, a break. Or maybe your, your children are a little bit older and they've rebelled and you just feel like, I cannot, I cannot lead them well. And, and God, where are you in the midst of this? Wh- whatever your situation is or has been, most of us, I think, have been in a place where we felt like that, where we felt like, God, I'm just getting beat down by the waves and, and I'm sinking and I feel like I'm just I'm drowning here and in some ways it kind of feels like you're asleep like do you even know what I'm going through now consider this could it be not that he doesn't care but that he's not alarmed could it be not that he isn't present but that he is present but he's calm in the midst of your your chaos. He's in control in the midst of your calamity. Think about it this way. Jesus, I believe, yawns at 
your challenges. Not that he doesn't care, but he's like, eh, it's not overwhelming for me. You're freaking out, but it's not overwhelming for me. I want you to hear this. He's got this. Please hear that in the depths of your soul as the Holy Spirit applies the words of his scripture to you. He's got this. Or should I say, he's got you in this. If you're a note taker, that's point number one. Point number one is, he's got you. I need you to understand in the depths of who you are, he's got you. What does he do? Let's read on, verse 24. And he awoke and he rebuked the wind and the raging waves and they ceased and there was a calm. And he said to them, verse 25, where is your faith? And they were afraid. They marveled, saying to one another, who then is this? that he commands even winds and water, and they obey him. Why isn't Jesus alarmed by the storm where he can sleep or, or maybe drift in and out in the midst of all of this and not jump up, oh no, we're gonna die? It's because he's sovereign over the storm. He's powerful over the storm. While everybody else thinks we are dying, he's thinking, no, we're not. I'm in control, I've got this, I've got you in this, and maybe you need to hear those words from God. I've got you right now. I've got you. He just gets up and he simply speaks. He rebukes the storm. He rebukes the raging sea, and they listen. They just they they listen. Have you ever experienced raging waters before? Have you ever been caught in a riptide? It is shocking how fast it pulls you out to sea. It's shocking how completely powerless you are. I've been whitewater rafting a a number of times up in Maine and North Carolina and in South Carolina. And and a few times I've fallen out of the boat in class four rapids and you've got no control at all. You just lay back and you just put your feet in front of you, stick them up so that your feet hit rocks instead of your head. That's how it works, right? It's kind of like, have you ever taken a a twig and dropped it in a waterfall or down a a, a stream or something that's kind of rushing and you just watch it go and fall down the waterfall? That's who you are, right? You have no control. You just go through the rapids. And in that day, in, in all the different cultures of that day, it was believed that the sea was just completely an untamable thing. No one could tame the sea. And if you could, regardless of your background, if you could tame the sea, they believed That was God. Only God could do that if there's a God at all. And in this moment, Jesus tames the sea. He says, calm. He rebukes it. Stay still. It's like talking to a child. Stay still. And he's claiming divinity. God who spoke the world into existence, likewise speaks to the water and says, stop. Speaks to the wind and says, cease. Be still. And you need to hear that. And same God, he's got you. He says, you've got to trust me. And he says to them, he says, where is your faith? Where is your trust? Do you trust me? I've got you. Do you trust that your situation, no matter how rough it may be, he's got you in it. It's no match for the power of God. It's no match for the power of God. 
which doesn't mean that, that Jesus is going to jump up and immediately calm your storm. Wouldn't you like that? Jesus, calm my storm. Maybe he's working on your faith in the middle of the storm. Maybe he feels like he's sleeping, but he's, he's giving you some space for your faith to be strengthened to see if you actually trust him. Maybe he's waiting for you to drop the bucket that you're using to, to dump the water out of the boat and go straight to him. Because sometimes we try to fix our problems long before we ever call out to him. Maybe he's waiting on that. You come to him, the only one who can handle your situation. And he says, trust me, place faith in me. Now look at the reaction of the disciples. Verse 25. And they were afraid and they marveled, saying to one another, who is this? He commands even the winds and the water and they obey him. Book of Mark says, they were filled with great fear. See, many of us have these children's Bibles, and they're a wonderful tool. I love them. But you kind of, with the children's Bible, you kind of just picture calm comes over the sea, everybody's smiling and happy, and they're in the boat with Jesus, and they're hugging him, and they just continue on their journey. But what we actually see here is that once Jesus speaks, and the wind stops, and the sea gets very glassy still, that the disciples' fear doesn't go down. What happens with their fear? It actually increases. You ever thought of the story that way? Their fear goes up, not down as we typically think. So much so that they go, wait a second. Who are we hanging out with right now? Who have we devoted our lives to follow? You can't be so casual with Jesus. Jesus is not your homeboy. Jesus is not the big man in the sky or like the movie says, little baby Jesus. That's not Jesus. They ask, who is this that he is all powerful over creation, over the strongest thing that we can imagine? Who is this? So again, if you're taking notes, point number one, he's got you. But point number two is, but do you get him? He's got you, but do you get him? The greater question is, do you get him? Do you understand who this is? Who Jesus is? See, there's one major problem as we read through the scripture. And that is that that oftentimes as we read it, we, we immediately go to, okay, how does this apply to me? And the trend in in churches for the past few decades has been what I call evangelical pragmatism. Where we turn every story in the Bible into a self-help seminar. Three steps to peace or three practices for a more peaceful marriage or, 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 or five steps to a better budget from the book of Revelation. I don't know. Listen. Sometimes the point to the stories we read about in the scripture is simply this. I want you to understand who I am. That this miracle is amazing, but sometimes I think we over-personalize it. Where we start to sing songs that he calms my sea, and he does, that's great. He, he, he may do that. This miracle is, is beautiful. He, he's with me, yes. He's, he's able to stop the storm, Yes, he, he's not threatened by the storm. Yes, but, but the greater lesson here is that Jesus is all-powerful. 
that his best friends are afraid of him after this. And they're marveling. Their jaws are on the ground. The the, the greater goal for him is to teach us about himself. And as you study the, the, the life of Jesus, his goal is not simply to calm our storms. His goal is for us to understand who he is. The, 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 the Gospels are there for us to understand. Who is this Jesus? Theophilus, I'm trying to tell you who this amazing Jesus is. That's what Luke's doing. Who is this? Let's, let's press in a little bit more. Second story, much faster. Verse 26. It says, Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. And when Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he had worn no clothes. He had not lived in a house but among the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, the Son of the Most High? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Jesus then asked him, what is your name? It's the first time we see Jesus actually interact with the demonic. Speak to the demonic. And he said, legion, for many demons had entered him. And they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs were feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him to let them enter these. And so he gave them permission. And the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs And the herd rushed down into the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Now that's an intense story. So after the disciples regained their composure, I have no idea how long that happened, but they just saw Jesus calm a natural disaster. They regained their composure and they continue on to the other side of the sea. But when they hit the shore, Jesus steps out of the boat and there is a demon-possessed man ready to meet Jesus. Now, earlier in this series through the book of Luke, we've covered uh, the demonic. We've covered demonic possession, uh, demonic influence, demonic oppression. And so if you miss that, you want to learn more, go online and, and find that. If you want to figure out which one of those apply to your mother-in-law, go to our website. Um, the demon-possessed man, what well, we learn about him here, he's been running around naked in a cemetery for a long time. So nuts, so crazy, so powerful that they they try to chain him up. But by the power of Satan, he supernaturally keeps breaking these shackles and and running free. We learn about this man that that he calls himself Legion, which for the Roman army, that was 6,000 soldiers. So Luke is, is, is saying this man had many demons. Many demons. It was unbelievably severe, the possession. The power that gripped this man was stronger than any human force could control. And now, let me just give you a few notes about Satan that we kind of catch from this as well. First of all, Satan has nothing on God. If you are a follower of Jesus, you have nothing to be afraid of. He has nothing on God. This is not yin-yang, right? 50%, 50%, epic battle between good and evil. I wonder who's going to win. 
No, the book of Revelation makes it very, very, very clear. What do the demons say through this man? They see Jesus. What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Satan knows, his forces know that their days are numbered, that he will be cast into the abyss. As you read through the New Testament, the demonic have the best Christology. They completely understand who Jesus is. They've been there from the beginning. They know who he is. James even says that even the demons believe and they shudder. Another thing we need to understand about demons is that they prefer to inhabit things. In the Bible, we see them inhabit people, men, women, false teachers. In the Bible, we see them inhabit houses. In the Bible, we see them inhabit animals. And here, they ask Jesus not to cast us into the abyss, which as you read in Revelation chapter 20, verse 3, is the final destiny of Satan and demons. It's this bottomless pit of eternal torment where Satan and demons will be cast, their future is nailed down. So right now they're kind of wreaking havoc, but we already know the end of the story. John gets a glimpse into the future, so it's as good as done. He will be cast down. They will be sealed up into the bottomless pit. And so when they say, please do not cast us into the abyss now, he says, okay, now's not the time. They understand that Jesus could do that. They understand the power of Jesus, and Jesus flexes his power over the demonic, showing himself greater than the human effort as they try to shackle this man. It's it's interesting how he doesn't conjure up some spell. He doesn't get some stick. He doesn't wave his arms five times. He just simply speaks, you're free, get out of here, and they're, they're gone, right? And they go right into a herd of pigs, and they run off the cliff to their death in the sea, and they drown. Now, that's power. I don't, I don't know if you've ever seen anything like that before. I haven't. But that's, that's some power right there. But let's keep reading on. Verse 34. It says, And when the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled. So their pigs went one way, and they went the other way, the land. And they told it in the city and in the country. People went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus clothed and in this right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. And then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned, and the man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him, but Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away proclaiming, throughout the whole city, how much Jesus has done. They didn't want to hear it from Jesus, but they were going to hear it from this man as they saw his life change. And that's what should happen with us too, right? People aren't going to show up to church and say, Jesus is here, I want to learn. But you're going to go out to them. They said, Jesus, get out of here. And Jesus said, you're not coming with me with that way. You're going back there to them. And that's what we're saying right now is every Sunday you get filled up, you get recharged. There are lots of people that aren't in here that don't want Jesus, but they're your neighbor they're your coworker, they're your lost family member, and you go and you reach those people. Now, this is a part of the story that just gets skipped over and over and over again, doesn't it? I mean, how often do we hear about this story? We love when people respond affirmatively to Jesus, but here, how do people respond? They are horrified by Jesus. 
We never sing songs about that, do we, in worship? You are so terrifying, Lord. We never sing that, right? The, the herdsmen, they fled. They've got to get out of here. This is crazy, right? And they go and they just start to tell people about what they have seen. I love in history when non-Christians are the best evangelists. Happens all the time in history. Something about those, those Christians, they love each other. I can't explain it. And they come to us, we can explain it, it's Jesus. And then all the people in the city and in the country, as they're going towards the city, they're telling people, they come out to see this Jesus. And they say, wait, is that Chucky? That's, that's what happened. He's sitting at the feet of Jesus. Now what does the feet of Jesus mean? We've already talked about this with, with the women. Is when they come to the feet of Jesus, mean they're learning from Jesus. This is just a visible change. It's the, the power of a changed life. Your life, when it's changed by Jesus, can be such a testimony to so many people that nobody is too far gone. This man was, they were done. I mean, there's not a chance. We just need to contain him, lock him up. That's it. You're thinking maybe that about your son, your daughter, your friend, your family member. Not a chance. Yes, there is. God can change anybody. And they see him learning at the feet of Jesus. And what do they do? It says when they see him, they are afraid. And who are they afraid of? Jesus. They're more afraid of Jesus than this formerly demon-possessed man. I mean, have you ever thought about that? Why? Because his power was intimidating. And so what do they do? How do they respond? They run Jesus out of town. Get out of here, Jesus. You've, you've got to leave. It says, why? For they were seized with, with great fear. When you're here, Jesus, we can't even move in your presence. You are so... We read scenes like that in the book of Revelation, don't we? And I fell down to his feet as though dead. And yet he touched me and said, fear not. Love that amazing picture. They run him out of town because otherwise they just couldn't couldn't live the same in the presence of Jesus. When you understand the power of Jesus, you just, you're different. You don't live nonchalantly anymore. When you understand the power of Jesus, things are, 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 are changed. We Americans love snuggle up Jesus, right? We love pat my bat Jesus. But we're, we're reading here about scary Jesus. Jesus who is all powerful who can shut us out at any moment and you will either respond and say I don't want anything to do with that Jesus or you can respond and say that that Jesus I I want him because if I'm with him he's got me you know what I mean so when I was in college I had this friend named Nick and I remember when I first met Nick he was a rather large guy and I'm not and so one thing that high school dudes do and a lot of college punks do as well is, is you see somebody, another guy, and you kind of size him up. Anybody? You know what I'm talking about? And, and I look at Nick, and I remember first meeting him and thinking, he's a big guy. And so in my head, I start to think about, okay, how long could I hang if we started scrapping? You know what I mean? And I'm like, I think I can maybe do a minute, a minute and a half before he crushed me. It was pretty depressing. And then somebody said to me, Josh, um, did you know that Nick is a part-time bodyguard? Like, what? <laughs> so on the weekends, that's what Nick does. He, he, you know, for his work, he's a, he's a bodyguard. And then I remember as I got to know Nick a little bit, I found out that not only was he a bodyguard, but his, his hobby was he was a body sculptor. Not a weightlifter, 
a body sculptor. That means you want to get every muscle as chiseled as completely possible. You want to sculpt your, your muscles. And then I remember as I got to know him a little bit more, I learned that he had a license to carry. Legally, he was packing heat. And as a guy, I was like, that's pretty cool. And then I later found out that Nick was a black belt. And at that point, I was like, this is just wrong. I mean, this is, this is so depressing. He could just crush me. But then it clicked. Wait a second. He's my friend. <laughs> He's with me. That's my boy. And suddenly I started to get kind of bold, you know. Come on, Nick, let's go. And he saw, I'm looking at people. No, I'm not. I wasn't that kind of guy. But we did go to this pool hall every now and again and shoot some pool. And when Nick was my friend, you know, there were a lot of sketchy kind of characters in that place. And I remember bringing Nick, and I just, no fear. Nick is with me. He's my boy. Now listen, people don't like the power of God often in America. We size him up. We read about him. We hear stories like this, and people don't like it. But for Christians, we should love it. Romans 8, 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, then who can be against us? We can walk a little bit taller. We can be a little bit bolder in the things that he calls us to do. We can live riskier lives because we have with us on our side the God who calms the seas. He's for you. That power is for you. The disciples were afraid at first when they were on that boat, but then in the weeks ahead, as we're going to see as we keep this study, he's going to send them out, and they're going to do some amazing things. No more fear. He is with me, and then it just progressively gets better. They stumble a bit, and then they do some great things because Jesus is with them. They stumble really bad, and they remember, wait, he's with me. And maybe you're here at a place where you're, you've been stumbling a little bit. I don't know if I like this Jesus. And now you're maybe, hopefully I'm praying, leaving. Wait, he's with me. He's, he's for me. He's on my side and I can do great things. And so the, the question that I have for you as we close up here is, what will you do with the power of Jesus? What will you do with the power of Jesus? Will you, like the latter story, Ask him to depart. Get away from me. I don't want you anymore. I don't like powerful Jesus. Or like the first story, will you look at him, be kind of overwhelmed at the power of Jesus, marvel at the power of Jesus, wrestle with it for a moment, but then go away deeply encouraged that you are with him and he is with you for his glory and for your good. That's Jesus. That's scary Jesus. Powerful Jesus. Majestic Jesus. We worship him. Let me pray. Father, we love you. And we love you knowing that you love us. That it is your desire for us to place faith in you to trust in you, to know that you are powerful over our life circumstances. That's what you want for us.
to trust that, that you've got us. No matter how hard, no matter how rough the seas are around us right now, that you've got us if we trust in you. But God, not many of us in here, I think we, we, many of us need to get you first. We need to understand you and be forced to respond. And so I pray that right now, you would force people to respond. They have been confronted with the words of God, that you are an all-powerful God that spoke this world into existence. You spoke us into existence. We are here because of you, and we have all rejected you. We have all gone our own way, living as if you are nothing to us. And the wage, the result of that sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus, that you came down, you experienced what we experienced, you lived in our shoes, and you were sinless. You didn't have to die, but you chose to lay down your lives on our behalf so that should we trust in you, we can be made right with you. Thank you that that amazing power resurrected you from the grave, and you are now seated at the right hand of Father. All-powerful. And you're calling us right now, many of us, to salvation, to trust in Jesus, to turn from sin, to turn from living independent of you, and to lock arms with you and to follow you in faith. And I pray that there are people in this room right now who say yes to Jesus. And that they would tell somebody. God, I pray for Christians in this room right now that you would just stir them up, encourage their hearts, remind them that you are powerful over whatever they're going through. You may or may not release them from it right now. But we do know that the end says that you will wipe away every tear from our eyes. Death will be no more. Pain will be no more. And so whether it's on this side of the grave or the next, we know that you've got us, you've got a plan, you're working things out, and you are in control when it seems like things are crumbling around us. Help us to be a people who delight in you and in your power, and see it as a good, amazing, beautiful thing, not to be messed around with, but something to treasure. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.